do here we go my name's todd and this is kathy there we go um still figuring out the technology um welcome to zen parenting radio this is podcast number 651 why listen to zen parenting radio because you'll feel outstanding and i always remember our motto which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding we are doing this in two separate places i am in illinois where are you sweetie I'm in California. What are you doing in California? Well, we were on spring break here. Can you hear me very well? Yeah. Okay. And our last night was Friday night, and my, one of my daughters got food poisoning, and it was really bad. So, <laughs> so Todd and I did what parents call, or what we call, divide and conquer, where he got he flew home with two of my kids because one had to go back to college. And one has to go back to eighth grade. And then I stayed here with my high schooler. And she is finally, this morning, feeling better. But it's been a rough, rough road. So I'm a little tired. (laughs) So instead of coming home last night, you're actually Mm -hmm. coming home tomorrow night. So an extra 48 hours out in California. Yeah. And I, we just uh, did a replay like a month ago. And I try my best not to do that. So I said to Kathy, let's just do it remotely and see what happens. So that's what we're doing. It'll probably be a little bit shorter of a podcast, but um, I'll tell you what we're going to talk about in a second. I got a text from a buddy of mine and I thought it was... Uh, an important text, and I wanted to treat it with the respect that I think it deserves regarding parenting our teenagers. So that's what we're going to talk about. But first, we have an announcement. Kathy is doing a Mother's Day virtual event. Will you talk about that, sweetie? Sure. It's called Zen Mother's Day. And basically, it is a free and virtual discussion Anybody can join. It's really for moms. I mean, I guess if dads really want to be there, but you know, all genders, whatever. Um, But it is to celebrate Mother's Day and have a discussion about self-awareness, mindfulness, chakras, and just embracing Zen. Um, I'm modeling it after the Zen, um, the pre-conference workshops I used to do when we did live conferences. I'd have like a an hour and a half to to talk with a group of people about you know, important topics or issues that were um, hopefully helpful or connective to them. And we had Q&A and lots of discussion. So we are going to do that virtually. And again, it's free. It's just like the summit there. You don't have to, you just show up. So basically you just register and you get a Zoom link and then you show up and it's Friday, May 6th at noon uh, central. Do you have to have read the book in order to participate in the workshop? You don't have to at all. No, I, the, obviously I want you to read the book because I, it's a lot more in depth than you're going to get from a, you know, 60 to 90 minute discussion. It's kind of just like skimming the surface of all these topics that we're talking about, but you do not need to have the book to join. And maybe if you join, you'll want the book after because it's, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a deeper dive than just a discussion. Like there's no other way to teach, but to like, use words and to like offer information. But when the things that Todd and I talk about are not intellectual, they're practices. They are um, our own self-awareness. You know, my experience is not your experience and vice versa. And so it kind of necessitates a little bit more than just one discussion, but I think everybody knows that. So if you want to participate, just scroll uh, down in the show notes and there'll be a link that you can RSVP and then we'll see you on Friday, May 6th. 
The other thing I want to mention is that um, I am having a discussion on Thursday night with a man named Kim Redding. Kim is a good friend of mine. He's also dealt with um, some love and sex addiction. He has dealt with infidelity and made it through that infidelity with his wife, um, Anne Marie, who's actually somebody we've had on the podcast. So it's open to all genders. And that link is also in the show notes. So if anybody wants to join us on Thursday night, that I'll be leading a discussion with Kim regarding infidelity and shame, I think it's going to be an important evening. So um, just know that you're invited and we'd love to see you. So the first thing I want to do is, Kathy, you wrote a Zen Parenting Moment, but first I want to play a clip from the Academy Awards from last Sunday. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Um, So I should probably set this up. This is the part of the Academy Awards, not the one that everybody's talking about, but instead it is about um, the part where Lady Gaga and Liza Minnelli were introducing the award for Best Picture. And we're only going to play 15 seconds of it. And then maybe, Kathy, you can riff on why I'm playing this part. Does that sound good? Sure. All right. Awards. Now we're going to show you something else. And then we're, we're going, going to, to tell you who it is. are right now. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I know. All right. Did you hear her whisper that, sweetie? What did she whisper and what was going on? I, I got goosebumps. I know. I know. So what I what I wrote about in my Zen parenting moment, that really makes me teary every time. It's so great. Um, uh, uh, what I wrote about in my Zen parenting moment was the fact that, you know, obviously the Academy Awards was uh, full of surprises. Um, but uh, the moment that touched me the most was that um, moment with Lady Gaga and Liza Minnelli. Um, it, I was texting with two of my friends during that. We were actually all in a hotel room. We had just gotten to California watching. I was, we were with our girls and, but I was texting with a few girlfriends and when Liza came out and she was talking, I said, gosh, that reminds me of my mom so much, you know, and the way that, uh, Gaga was so, um, supportive and, not at all patronizing and completely confident and also held the space for Liza Minnelli. She wasn't like the way that she showed up for her in her confusion, but also she wasn't confused the whole time. She was so excited to be there and Liza meaning, and the fact that, um, and I heard since this time that uh, Lady Gaga requested that partnership. She Mm. wanted the two of them to come out together. Mm. And it's just so her, just a part of her compassionate, um, loving persona, because she's also, she also, as everybody knows, performed with Tony Bennett. Um, They've done albums together and he's struggling with dementia. And she has been so the same way with him on stage. She just has such a gift. So let me just interrupt real quick. For those of you who may not have seen it, um, Liza Minnelli is out there. She comes out in a wheelchair. She's had a lot uh-huh. of health issues. And she's. there were moments where she was really stumbling and, and finding the right words in the right way. And this is the Academy Awards. So obviously you want everything to go perfectly, which it never does. And um, and what Kathy's ta- speaking to is Lady Gaga's response to the potential discomfort that everybody's feeling. And what I judge is that she did such a wonderful job of holding that space. So I, I, I just want to make sure people knew what we were talking about. Sweetie. Sure. And what she said that you may not have heard her whisper is she said, I got you. And Liza Minnelli said, I know. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they were both 
in agreement that they were in it together and that she was going to help her and that she knew she was going to be helped and that they were able to relax into that moment. Um, and I really, you know, what I wrote about was it reminded me a little bit of my mom, but also my dad, my dad had the same struggle. And ironically, um, Bruce Willis came out this week or his family did and said that he's been diagnosed with aphasia, which my father had, uh, after he had a stroke. And the fact my dad had to relearn how to speak, he only had a couple words after he had a stroke. And the first thing he learned how to say was, I had a stroke. Mm -hmm. And he did that. So when he was talking with people or they were asking him a question, he could put them at ease and let them know. Because a lot of times when people don't speak um, or choose the right words, people get really uncomfortable. There's this like feeling of what's wrong with you. So my dad learned how to do that. And then with my mom, she um, has dementia. And so she can't access the right words a lot of the time. Um, but it's, I've just witnessed, you know, my dad had a stroke when I was 27. So I've witnessed for half my life, how uncomfortable other people get in the presence of that, like sometimes confusion or lack of ability to access words. And so for to see on TV, a woman be so not awkward or performative, but be very like loving and compassionate and patient with somebody who is struggling to find their words. Um, I thought it was like a, I called it a masterclass in compassion. Well, and I just wonder, um, and we could talk the whole show about this and we're not going sure. to, cause I want to go to somewhere else, but I just wonder, cause I've, I feel that discomfort when, you know, I'm with your mom or we've all had uh, experiences where somebody's either older, they're dealing with some type of aphasia or they had a stroke. It's just so interesting how quickly we all, and I, and I raise my hand, how I get uncomfortable and, mm -hmm. and it's, it's just a weird thing. Like if they had other physical ailments, we don't get that uncomfortable, but when it has to do with the spoken word, I am so quickly like, you know, my nervous system goes up and I don't know why that is, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Well, something that we, you know, we want to remember with people who are struggling to get their words. And, and again, it's different for everybody because everybody has their own medical history and their own diagnosis. So I don't want to say this is across the board, but with my dad, he could fully understand what people were saying. He just couldn't communicate back. So you can only imagine how difficult it was for him when people would either stop talking to him, look away, or they would yell at him. They would like talk really loud to him. And he's like, no, I can understand you. Mm -hmm. I just can't, I can't find those words in my head. And I think for those of us who are, you know, around 50, um, we have those moments where you and I, Todd, we're like, I can't access that word. And I always say, gosh, that's just what my dad was going through. And then with my mom with dementia, it's a little different, um, but it's the same kind of, if we're patient with her, she's just trying to tell us something that she's feeling. Mm -hmm. She's just, and I think with, language we just want it to flow and have a rhythm and when it doesn't we feel like we need to fill that space yeah. or or kind of hijack the conversation or um make that person more comfortable by saying oh this is what you mean to say don't worry don't worry when really the best thing you can do is allow them the time and then you can say do you do you want my help or or is this what you're saying mom or is this what you're and sometimes they need the support but if we're not in such a hurry, it's a good mindfulness, um, you know, experience, isn't it, Todd? Like if you really are chill, they eventually find their word. Well, and it's such an, in, it's, it's such a wonderful invitation to mindfulness, to being yeah. centered, to breathing. Like, um, it's, 
whenever I'm with somebody who I think, in even my own, like even when I can't grab the words from my brain, uh, I get all jacked up. And it's just, it's a reminder to accept and breathe and do everything else. So, um, you know. And Dad, what do we always say when we can't find the word? We'll be like, you know what? I'm just going to relax because it'll come to me. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's exactly what happens is, you know, anxiety breeds, breeds anxiety. Right. So when you can't access a word and you're like trying harder, 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 and you're pushing against it, it's never going to show up. Yeah. Or if it does, very rarely. So if you relax, the word just kind of pops back in. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so just some background. I have a friend named Mark. He's a good friend. And he sent me this text about a half an hour ago. So Kathy and I haven't talked about this text. I sent it to her just so she could um, read it. Um, And I also want to say that I don't think either one of us are going to come here with any answers, but I think it's an important topic of discussion. So this is from my friend Mark. I'm reaching out as I'm feeling frightened as I got some harsh news last night. My friend back home just lost his 22-year-old son to a depression-related suicide. The friend I'm visiting here lost her 18-year-old son to depression-related unintentional suicide. There seems to be a pandemic of this that is being exacerbated by the COVID pandemic. Both of the kids' parents feel crushed. They didn't act more aggressively to have prevented these outcomes. They both feel undertrained by the system in our society to know where the danger line is. So I'm reaching out to see if you and Kathy would consider either replaying a show or to replaying a show or two as a public service announcement to help parents know better the early warning signs their children are on a path that may lead to suicide, as well as any advice to parents on the other side of the vent on how best to deal with the trauma they both found their dead children, grief, integration, and moving forward with their lives. I want to raise the warning flag to all the parents out there to curb this under-discussed reality of our time. Thanks for listening. So that was my friend Mark, and I just thought that it was, it hit me pretty hard as uh, a man who leads an organization helping people um, connect with others and as a parent of three teenagers, like this is a really important thing. And I think it's something that we pretend isn't happening out there. And I think the first step, Kathy, you tell me if I'm wrong, is to talk about it, right? Like step mm-hmm. one. Um, so what do, you, what do you think? It's interesting because I think all of us have gotten these uh, articles, um, if not sent to us, we've seen them saying that the, there is a mental health pandemic right now, especially with teens and young adults. And the statistics, like for example, when I wrote my book, the statistics of anxiety and depression were through the roof and that was pre-COVID. So you can only imagine. So when we read these articles, sometimes we read them as like, oh, that's other people, Um, other people's kids, that's other people, that's not me because my kid does A, B, or C. Um, And this isn't like, what I will say about this discussion, I wanna reiterate a few things. Number one, we don't have any final answers. Uh, Todd and I don't have any way to guide you personally um, through this that we would never assume to know that much. Um, and we also know that um, there are lots of different reasons. You know, it, it's not just one thing. It's not just the pandemic. It's not just, you know, a, a diagnosis of depression. There's so many 
um, forces at work when a uh, young adult, a child, or somebody our age chooses, um, or let me not let me say that differently, when they die by suicide, mm-hmm. um, we also have to learn how to use the the language correctly. Yeah, and real um, quick, why would so I was instructed by a friend of mine that. Co- the, the phrase committing suicide is not the one that we use anymore because that's what mm-hmm. we grew up with. Mm-hmm. It's die by suicide. And do you want to talk about the nuance between those two phrases? Well, I think that the the basic thing is blaming, you know, as if that there is some kind of blame and that um, instead of recognizing the pain and mm-hmm. the um, sometimes the lack of di- lack of choice that that person feels. Um, and again, different for every person. This is a really hard topic, not because I'm very, I'm very, you know, when you send me that text, I'm like, yeah, let's discuss connection and let's discuss the pain that's out there. But why I like kind of move around a lot um, is because there is just no way to hone in and say, do this, this, and this, yeah. and then you, then you won't have a child who struggles with this. You know, this is this is something that is individual, you know, it's an individual experience and it's also the family and how they relate to discomfort and pain and talking about depression or talking, even if a kid doesn't have a diagnosis of depression, this is not all about clinical diagnosis. This is is about noticing your child and their connection or lack of connection, their um, their ability to talk to you or their complete disregarding of anybody around them where they're pulling into themselves. Um, it is a, I think where I kind of wanted to focus Todd was it's shifting our priorities Mm. away from things like, I got to get my kid in all of these activities and I have to help them volunteer and I've got to get them into a right college and shifting your priorities to the emotional well-being of your children, period. Yeah. And I have never not believed that was the first priority, but it's becoming more and more apparent that I have to be really, really clear about that. Well, and what I was going to say is being willing kind of to blow up your expectations. Yep. Um, You know, we all have this idea of what the path for our kid is. School, sports, music, art, college, partnership, all that. And there's times when the going gets rough. I sometimes be like, yeah, but let's just get through this. And you can still take the test. And even though you're not doing well and like it's just so seductive to kind of push keep on pushing and not stopping and pausing and reorganizing all the dynamics that are going on exactly that there is a it's not about like i like the language you're using like pushing like it's not about pushing and trying to get through so you can get back to school so you can get there is a reprioritizing of mental well-being for ourselves and for our children. And the old belief that the goal of our parenting is to get our kids to be super active, super productive, and then to get them off to the right school is so old to me. Like that kind of mentality of like this, you know, we've been doing this show for 11 years and those were the things that we were talking about 11 years ago, you know, is how to, 
you know, reprioritize emotional well-being. And now it's not just, hey, it might be a good idea. Now this is this is where we are now. And we can look at this with a sense of fear, or we can look at this as we're getting back to the basics of what it means to be human. Like instead of, oh my God, this is, you know, it is scary. But like, you know, I just actually posted something on our story that discomfort, this is Susan David, this is not my quote, this is Susan David's quote, discomfort is the price we pay for living a meaningful life. Mm. And sometimes, and I'm not talking about that we sit in discomfort and that we stay in it, but sometimes having a difficult conversation or being willing to shift our priorities or being willing to say my kid needs a mental health day or being willing to ask for help. You well, know? And what I was going to say is the, that I, I'll try to use I statements, sometimes have a resistance of asking the difficult question. And the difficult question might be, hey, have you ever felt depressed, child? Or, hey, have you ever had any type of ideas of harming yourself? Like, those are scary questions that mm-hmm. us parents, um, res- that I sometimes resist asking my kids. Mm-hmm. And I think if I were to get a... Um, you know, try to support some, all the parents out there that are listening is be willing to ask those uncomfortable questions. Well, and be willing to believe your kid when they tell you something, you know, I've had just in the last year, I've talked to a lot of families and talked to a lot of teenagers and talked to a lot of friends of the teenagers and just, you know, lots of different groups of people. And there's a lot of feedback that these teens tell me that they share with their parents. This is how I'm feeling. And the parents either are like, yeah, but you'll get through it. Or let's focus on what's most important, which is your grades. Um, Or there are some that are like, okay, um, you know, I'll get you a therapist, but then they don't talk about it at home. So it's almost like this, this thing. And then let me, uh, let me, you know, go full circle. And then there are parents that get very involved Mm -hmm. and they support their child and they make it a common conversation in the home. So it's not just everyone is dropping the ball. There are some families and parents that are really hearing what their kids have to say and doing their best to pull together the resources they can. And I'm also very aware because I'm helping people find therapists all the time, that there's a ton of wait lists and there's not a lot of resources that are available at, you know, um, you know, sometimes you have to wait. And I totally get that. Like I was just talking with a friend um, last week whose son had to be admitted and admitted meaning hospitalization. And they were like, there's no beds for two weeks. And and so I'm not, I know that even when we're reaching out for resources, sometimes we're not getting what we need, but just letting the step of letting our kids know we're taking all the necessary steps and I will be with you mm. until that help is part of our team or part of, you know, part of our home. That is making a shift right there. Yeah. Just the dynamic of we're inviting this in. We are going to, you know, take the steps forward. Um, I know it doesn't come sometimes the way that we want it to. And sometimes we find a therapist that it's not a good fit and we have to find someone else. The process can be daunting. But I think the, the thing I'm trying to compare is the process versus the disengaging or the not believing or, but, you know, like Todd last week, we talked about Evan Rachel Woods documentary and there's a part of it that we discussed where she actually calls her dad and says, 
I, I feel like I'm going to hurt myself and I need help. And he says, well, why don't you call my friend? I can't come because I'm in a play. They interviewed him after that, after she told that story. And he said, well, I had never felt that way. So I assumed she really didn't. Mm. That was a huge moment in that documentary because parents, even if you've never felt that way, if your kid is telling you that. Believe them. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, uh, or not funny, it's strange because there's a part of, as a parent, when I see my kids in pain, whether it's anxiety or depression, um, it's I get very uncomfortable and I want to fix, which could, it, because I love them. Mm-hmm. Yet that could be the very thing that keeps them stuck. So I wonder if we can talk a little bit about the balance between wanting to give them the resources that they need to get support and to heal, and the same time accepting the isness of where they are in a particular moment. Because I I think, well, from my experience, when 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 there's an indication that my kid is struggling, I get really into problem solving mode. And that will sometimes exacerbate the problem. And I wonder if you want to just riff off of that. Well, I'll riff off of the way that you just introduced this question. You said, I want to solve that. You said this a few minutes ago, I want to solve the problem because I love them. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I would encourage you to like expand on that. Cause of course you love the kids. I'm not debating that, but why are you trying to because solve Because I'm really uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Right. Because this is, I, I've made this story about me instead of the person who's saying that they're in pain. Right. Exactly. And that, I think that feeling is going to, that's the discomfort that I'm talking about that we're, you know, that that's part, like I was, we were supposed to be doing a podcast today with uh, the author Debbie Lewis. And she writes a, um, she wrote a book about the experience of feeding her child when she was young and how difficult it was. We'll have her on next week. So everyone will get to hear her story. But I was emailing with her today, letting her know that I was gone, you know, that we couldn't record. And she, you know, I, we kind of had a back and forth because I'm here with a sick child and it's been rough, right. You know, like, even if you understand what's going on, it doesn't mean that it's not uncomfortable and hard. And she and I were just having that conversation about how, you know, shit gets real, man, Mm -hmm. where you're like, what's most important. What am I will? I have this experience, Todd, where when the girls are sick or struggling, if it's mental health or physical health, where my brain does this block and, I, and this is a positive thing. I think this is part of motherhood or parenthood where I can only focus on them and not in a problem solving way, but I don't think about, do I have a call tomorrow? I don't think about your, my prior, your priorities are intact. They get really hyper-focused sure, yeah. now then it's really hard to pull out of it and, and it gets messy and it's still uncomfortable. Don't get me wrong. I'm still super uncomfortable, but it's like this weird thing where I just get really, you know, like I said, shit gets real. And it's like, this is all that matters. Mm. And I think that what does that mean in answering your question about problem solving? It's not about then me focusing on them and saying, what are we going to do? Here's what we're going to do. Now we're, it's more about slowing down. Like, what are the things we need to do in a, in a high crisis moment? Breathe, mm-hmm. slow down, figure out, not necessarily with your child. I mean, maybe bring them in, but bring, you know, obviously if they're asking for help, you're not going to say to them, well, what do you want me to do? You're going to try and maybe call someone for help, have your partner support you in coming up with a plan 
discussing with your child, here's what we're going to do, you know, like having a cool, calm health. And sometimes it's like, like, I know you and I have had some times where if the children, you know, just through the years, if the girls are really struggling, where we're like, let's go to bed. And they even like, you know, we sleep with them in their bed or they come with us in our bed and let's sleep. And then in the morning we're going to take action. But sometimes the, the process is like, let's slow down, let's connect, let's breathe and get to a place where we can make some kind of shift or make a plan. Cause sometimes at 11 PM, our brains are not ready to create whatever plan that is, or to be as calm as we need to be with our children. So do you see how these dynamics, they're so different depending on the circumstance? Well, there's so many layers to this. The one That's piece, what I mean. The one piece I wanted to share, like, you know, you shared at the beginning of the show that our kid got food poisoning and that's why uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. There's a stigma against mental health that, right. I, that I am as guilty of as anybody. So if my kid was, had to stay in California because she was depressed and couldn't get on a plane, I think... I would probably be less likely to share that on a podcast. So I'm just outing myself like there is this real stigma that happens. The problem is we all have experiences with it. And if we could all share it more openly, the stigma will alleviate. So I just thought that that was an important piece. Well, and there's a difference between us doing a podcast and sharing about our children or sharing about other people's children because they don't get a choice in the matter, right? Like there is, you know, I feel when it comes to my kids, their story is their story. And I can talk about things that are, um, you know, as far as you and I, Todd, in our parenting, but our girls get to decide when they share about their own mental well-being or their own emotional well-being. Like that's their life, mm-hmm. right? But when we're talking about the, so I'm getting kind of like in you know different levels here. That's that's the podcast. But when we're talking about in our own home, this topic should never be off limits. Yeah. So it may be one thing for, like you said, a a stigma, it's a stigma. Yes. Like that's absolutely, that's what we're trying to, you and I, I think that's one of our biggest goals in talking about mental well-being is remembering that we all struggle with mental health at some time or another or ongoing or chronically, or we're medicated or we're seeing therapists like, hello, Mm -hmm. like, you know, how many stories have you and I shared about our own mental health? Right. And so obviously that's going to be the same with our kids, but then but then on the, you know, when it's at home, talking about the typicalness of that is essential. Like when my kids come to me and they say, well, I'm really anxious. I'm like, of course, why wouldn't you, you know, usually it's about a thing or about like an impending feeling or, you know, they're worried about, will, you know, let's go back to COVID. Will we go back to school? Oh, then I am nervous about going back to school or I'm worried about falling behind or I'm worried about going to college or I'm feeling anxious about my friends. Of course. Well, and like, it's almost like we want to normalize the language, right? Yeah. While at the same time, not have, like if I said, oh, kids, guess what? Dad's depressed today. Like it's not their job to pick me up. But it, so like, that's like the nuance of it is we want to keep using these words, but not making our kids feel like they got to pick up the pieces that dad's dropping because he feels depressed. Right. Well, and that's like a parentification that, you know, we're not talking about it's okay to share with our kids. Like I've struggled Mm -hmm. with depression or I'm, I feel anxious about these kind of things too, but we are not presenting those conversations in a, I'm still in that vulnerable state right now. You know, there's a sense of experience with it. And then if you are in the midst of it, you go to adults, you know, you don't go to your children, but you can share things as far as a story goes, because I think why this is, 
this it's so layered because we start with the normalization of feelings and this is a lot of what i write about in my book as far as if you do that it doesn't eliminate anything but it decreases sometimes the discomfort of feeling those things like depression anxiety sadness grief we're less likely to feel alone we're less likely to feel like an outcast or ashamed. Shame is a huge part of this. Mm-hmm. You know, I shouldn't, there's so much like, um, if we're struggling and we have a lot of privilege, you know, we have a home, you know, we have a partner, we have children, you know, we have finances that are, you know, we can buy what we need to food wise. And then we feel depressed or anxiety or anxious. We have a sense of shame around it. Like I shouldn't feel this way because look at my outside circumstances. But, you know, mental well-being is not about what you have. Like I I was telling, you know, another friend of mine who came to me about a month ago because one of her children was struggling with mental health. And she kept saying to me, but it doesn't make sense to me because he just got this and he just got these grades and he just got this gift. And, And she was talking about all these external things that while they can support an environment for a child, that's, it doesn't matter these external things. And sometimes they make it worse for the kid because sometimes the kid thinks, well, once I get my driver's license or what I, once I'm in high school, I'll be okay. And if they don't feel okay when they get their driver's license or they go to high school, then they're even more depressed because that external thing that they've been depending on did not satisfy their mental health. Yeah. So normalizing these conversations. And, and for those of you who are like, I don't even know where to begin with that. That's why we need therapists. That's why we need coaches. That's why we need classes. That's why we need books. That's why we listen to podcasts. We have to be willing to educate ourselves about what emotional intelligence is. Well, and then not just, oh, I'm sorry, sweetie. No, uh, well, I was just going to say, this is like a few minutes ago, but you're talking about how we hear certain stories and we're so surprised because everything seems to be going so well. And mm-hmm. just like, I think three or four weeks ago, there was that Stanford soccer star, yeah. Katie Meyer. Yeah. You know, we've heard these stories so often. So the outside doesn't match the inside. Successful, collegiate athlete, smart, blah, 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 all that stuff. And she was in pain and she didn't feel... Um, I, I don't think that she felt, um, equipped to be able to talk about it or, or seek out support. So, um, it's one of those things. And Go ahead. With that story specifically, I remember, um, that there was a lot of discussion about, well, it sounds like the school was going to reprimand her for something. There was something going on with the school where she was going to get in trouble. And everyone's like, well, that's what it was. And I'm like, that is a, could have been a piece. It could have been a trigger point. It could have been a last straw, but there was so many, you, you know, that there's more than just one thing. Yeah. It's not because of the things someone said to you or because you, you know, had it, it, it's, it's not just because you got a bad grade on a test. There's a belief system underneath it. And those things can be the trigger points, but there's more to it. And that's why the discussions are essential because it's not about like to your question, you know, 30 minutes ago, it's not about solving one problem. Yeah. It's about normalizing emotions and the ups and downs of feelings and allowing feelings to be okay in the home. Yeah. 
allowing a child to feel like they can be down Mm -hmm. and not be constantly grateful about everything they have, allowing a child to take a mental health day and not making them feel guilty about being, you know, like how many parents have said to me in the last, you know, six months, my kids manipulating me. They don't want to go to school. They're manipulating me. And I'm like, okay, that's one version. Could they be anxious? Could they have school anxiety? Could they feel so depressed that their energy is depleted? Could they be afraid of something? Could they be being bullied? Like we take it as such a personal slight Mm -hmm. when our kids are struggling. And if we, and and again, I think it goes back to what Todd said about we're just so scared. Mm -hmm. Like it, you know, you know, I kind of made fun of you for saying, you know, it's because I love them, but the truth is we do love them. And that's why we want to solve it. Even though we can't, there's, Part of that is our own discomfort, but it's the discomfort because we love them so much. Well, and it's just so interesting how quickly we make it about us, you know, right. like, oh, you're depressed. Uh, I can't deal with this. So I'm going to say that you're manipulating me or whatever. Like, so right. this is such a nuanced conversation and um, I'm sure we've talked around it somewhere in the first 650 podcasts that we did, but I don't know if we've dealt with it this directly. And I think it's a really important topic. So. Well, it's important because it's our reality right now that there are kids who are struggling because of obvious reasons. The, you know, for the last however many years, everything has been so topsy-turvy and they haven't been able to depend on even, can they show up to school? They haven't been able to depend on, will I be able to go to my soccer game? Will we have our prom? Will my friend, you know, be my friend? And then there's just the things we grew up with. Will, you know, will people be kind to me? Will, and then social media, you know, and the experience they have with that, like, you know, sometimes we hear all these news stories and they come to us at different times. And so we kind of like tackle them one at a time, understandably. But if I was to piece together for you, all the articles we've read in the past like year about, I'll just start with social networking about the Facebook algorithms, the Instagram algorithms, TikTok, the things that they do to bring kids in, to make them be more worried about body image to make them focus on negativity to focus you know on anything that isn't healthy for them you know the the challenges that they're being asked to do the tiktok challenges that kind of stuff that story alone is a challenge then we talk about covid then we talk about the the 24-hour news cycle then we talk about regular things like grades and college and you know you know sat scores and and things that are more traditionally the challenges our kids have and then friendships and who, yeah. and, and I don't say that to overwhelm us. It's the truth. You know what Zen is? Zen is about dealing with reality as it is. The isness of it. The isness of it. Because if we deal with the isness of it, then we confront not all of our past and our fears and our worries, but we confront what's in, what, what we're seeing, which is my kid is in pain or kids are in pain right now. So as we begin to close shop, I, I, so my two bullet points and then Kathy, I'll let you riff however you want to kind of like close the discussion. But for me, if, if I were going to, you know, support parents in this endeavor about mental wellness, I would say be willing to ask uncomfortable questions. And when they answer, believe them. And, you know, that's, and that's not an encapsulation of what we talked about, but those are, that's, what's coming to me right now. Like, don't be afraid to ask the tough questions 
and then believe them when they answer. Yeah, and I would say, I would add to that, reprioritize what the most mm-hmm. important things are. Yes. Um, be willing to recognize that when you're talking about mental well-being, it's going to trigger you mm-hmm. and yeah. your history. And you may think to yourself, but nobody ever talked to me about these things. And that doesn't matter when we are parents. I mean, it matters because I care about people who are having that experience. But what I mean is that doesn't give us permission then to not talk about it with our kids. We don't get to say, but in my past, nobody did. So I'm not going to do it because this is a different time. Yeah. Whole different ballgame. Whole different ballgame. Kids are dealing with different things. Their mental well-being is the most important thing. That is the root of their existence. And if that is in turmoil, all the dreams that you have for them, all the things that you want them to do, all the, you know, that everything's then at risk. Yeah, no doubt. So, and something to remember, there are no quick fixes. One therapy appointment, um, one discussion, um, one book, that is the beginning. And, And there is no finality to it. And I say that with hopefully... Uh, relief for parents that meaning it's an ongoing thing and your children may, you know, be struggling some days and some days they're not. And you can appreciate those days and have gratitude for those days. But then when they have a day that's difficult, it doesn't mean you started from scratch. It means that that's what human beings do. They go through the waves of emotions. And so Todd, there's just a few other things I wrote down because before we started and I'll just say them quickly. This goes with what I was just saying about it's a whole new ball game. Connection is the most important thing. I mean, you could just listen to any podcast that Todd and I have done and it's connection, connection, connection. And for those of you who are listening for the first time and you think that means permissiveness, that's not what I mean. What I mean is we meet our kids where they are. We deal with the reality of what is. Who our child is telling us they are is who they are. And we, we meet them there and get to know them. We don't create our children. We don't turn them into something. We meet them as they are and we show up and we connect from that place. Um, Build a team. Don't do it by yourself. I can't tell you, you know, whenever, you know, if it's me personally, if it's my kids, if it's Todd, if it's family, it's all about team for me. Who else am I bringing in on this with me? My therapist, you know, my family, um, friends, you know, school social workers. And I, and I tell them you're part of my team, you know, like I, because to me, that helps me feel like I have a foundation. Doesn't mean I'm calling on them every day. It just means I feel like there are people, you know, this goes back to one of the things that, you know, Todd and I've talked about a lot is that when my daughters turned 13, I had a party for them to honor them becoming young women And I invited a bunch of women and family members and a bunch of friends. And I said, this is your team. These are the people, if you come to me or you don't come to me, you can come to these people. You can come to all of us. You can ask all of us for help at the same time. And I think Todd and I have both been very grateful to watch our girls use those people. Mm. And sometimes they go to those people before us. And you know what? I'm fine with it. Yeah. Like, do you see how mental well-being and emotional stability is the most important thing? So if they find that there is a another adult that they're like, I'm a little more comfortable talking to them about it, great, because these are the people that I trust too. And I know that they have my daughter's best interests at heart, daughters. Yeah. 
So build a team. Awesome. Um, okay. So in, um, in closing, uh, thank you everybody for listening uh, to this uh, important topic. Um, and we'll continue to kind of address this as it comes up. Um, we started with the announcements of the Mother's Day thing. So um, just scroll the sh down the show notes so you can RSVP for that or the Thursday night uh, discussion I'm having. Um, we have Team Zen, which is a uh, group of parents and Kathy and I who get on Zoom twice a month. It's a community where we support each other and it's a Facebook community. We also um, have all the podcasts in your app. So if you're interested, it's 25 bucks a month. Just go to our website, zenparentingradio.com. And then finally, Jeremy Kraft, he's a bald-headed beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. So if you find yourself in the Chicagoland area and you want a house project, Jeremy's your guy. 630-956-1800. And his website is avidco.net. Anything else, sweetie? Yeah, I wanted to add one thing, an addendum, if I will, sure. or if you let me, is that I think something that we often overlook too is physical touch hmm. with people who are struggling with mental well-being. I know that, um, like we started talking about the Liza Minnelli, uh, Lady Gaga moment, and if you guys go watch it, you will see that Lady Gaga grabs Liza's hand mm -hmm. several times. I always did that with my dad. I always do that with my mom. I do. I do that with my children if I don't grab their hand. I rub their back. I rub their feet. Touch is so important. And when people now, some people, like I was actually just listening to a podcast with Hannah Gatsby on, um, Glennon's podcast and, you know, Hannah Gatsby is, uh, on the spectrum and she was talking about, she's a, do you know who that is? She's yeah. a comedian. Yeah. And she was saying the touch does, is not great for her, mm -hmm. you know, that she sometimes, you know, that's not great for her. And she's had to let people know that. So I know that there are people that physical touch is not their, the way that they feel connected, but if you have a child or a partner, or, you know, if you need physical touch, I really can make a difference in connection. No doubt. And it can be very gentle and very, you know, small, little incremental rubbing the back, hugs in the morning. And if you have kids who are becoming adolescents and they're starting to back away from it a little bit, find other ways to grab mm. their hand mm. um, because we all need it. So it's just another way to think about connection. Yeah. Most human beings, not all, but most hum human beings are wired for physical touch. Absolutely. So, um, and, yeah. So, yeah. And, and we may need to, you know, like with all things, you know, consent, you know, like saying yeah. I, but there's times with our kids where if we can make that a consistent thing where they understand that our touch is not a touch of stop it, but a touch of I'm here for you. You know, I got you. Yeah. Um, I can't think of a better gift. Yeah. All right. Well, um, here comes our outro music. If I can do this right. There it is. Um, so hopefully we will catch you all next Tuesday on Zen Parenting Radio. Keep trucking, everybody. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are always grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen, pre-ordering Kathy's Zen Parenting book, or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we will talk to you again next week. <laughs>